We're looking at a couple different scripture passages today. Um, I want to walk you through a couple. As far as I'm concerned, this sermon has two parts. We're going to be talking about grace and peace, and then we're going to talk about one of my favorite stories from Genesis, because I can't not go to the Old Testament on my last sermon. So, um, first I want us to take a look at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um, is the beginning of the letters to Corinth, and Paul is writing these probably about 55 AD, and he's writing from Ephesus to Corinth, Okay. So Paul's writing these. He's out of town. Um, he is hearing the things that's coming out of the Corinthian church, and so he decides that he is going to write a letter in order to kind of set the Corinthian church straight. And this is the beginning of that letter. We just want to look at a couple of verses here. It's more important than anything just how he starts this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how he starts his letter. This is how he begins And I love that he starts with Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ by the will of God. That's essentially him rolling in and saying, look, just to remind you who I am, so you know that the the other foot's going to fall, and the other foot is, now when I tell you this, you got to get your act together, because it is not good stuff that's coming out of Corinth. Um, Corinth, um, at this point in time, is home to the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and so that temple of Aphrodite became a house of love, if you catch my drift, all right? Um, so much, so much immorality was going on at this point in time that it actually became its own verb to Corinthianize, and it still, um, it still carries over into today to Corinthianize. So that's how bad it was, right? It's like um, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like all of these different towns that that have been um, kind of boiled down to one sin, right? And so Corinth had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of sexual immorality, but then on top of it, even the church was still having these same issues, plus they were abusing the, the, the Eucharist. They were abusing communion, okay? And so Paul has all of this. He has this agenda, but he starts by reminding them who he is as an apostle of God, and then reminding them that they are called to be a holy people and wishing them grace and peace. That's where he starts on what is really going to be a tough letter. Okay? I mean, this is a letter that is filled with tough love. He has a lot of stuff that he's got to set straight. And so he starts with grace and peace. And that, and that, that became a hallmark of Paul's letters all throughout the New Testament. If you think of this one, you think of Ephesians, you think of Colossians, um, it's grace and peace is always attached to Paul's name. And this is really intentional on his part, because uh, the original greeting for letters back at this point in time, if you're writing a letter and you're writing in Koine Greek, which is what they're writing in at the time, they would, you would always start with greetings. You would say, greetings, so-and-so. It's like, dear John, right? It's like, dear, you know, whatever, if you're writing a letter today. Back then, it was greetings, Now, the word for greetings and grace in Greek are very similar. So what Paul's doing is he's doing a play on words. He's, instead of doing greetings, he's saying grace, and then he says grace and peace because he's a good Pharisee. 
He's a good Jew. And the way you greet each other in the nation of Israel is you say, Shalom. It's the way of saying hello. It's from Hebrew, it's Shalom, and he says, Peace, peace to you, and peace to yours. And it's still a greeting among the Jewish people even into today. And so what he's doing is he's taking this Greek way of thinking, of writing, the language that everybody knows, and saying grace and peace. And that's how he starts his letters. And it becomes a hallmark of biblical scholars figuring out, did Paul write this or not? Grace and peace. And so as we think about this, think about grace. Grace is two things. Grace is gift and grace is personal. Grace is gift and grace is personal. It's a gift because it is freely given, right? Grace, if you, if you, I, I remember this one preacher that we had growing up. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve, right? That, that's how I always heard him define growing up. So grace is a gift. Grace is freely given. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It is a gift that is given by God. And that gift is personal. That gift is Jesus Christ. Grace isn't just some abstract. And while we might sometimes use some some legal analogies, right? We might talk about the judge or accuser or, you know, being pardoned. Um, it's not abstract. It's not just legal. That, that, that gives us a, a little bit of a picture, but at its core, grace is personal because grace is Jesus. That grace, that gift cannot and would not be given if Jesus had not been born, if Jesus had not become incarnate, if Jesus had not put flesh on and walked on this earth. So that grace is personal. Grace has a name, and that name is Jesus. So if God gives us this grace... It doesn't just um, pardon us. It doesn't just um, absolve us of sin. It isn't just about our sin relationship or our sinful nature. It's actually moving in a direction. It's not just a cure for what ails us. It's also a movement towards greater health. And that health is peace. That health is shalom. See, in the Hebrew understanding, when it comes to the Old Testament, shalom or peace isn't just about not having war. Because that's how we talk about it these days, right? Shalom or peace, we say it's, it's in peacetime and wartime, like they're opposites, right? So if you're not in war, then you're in peace, right? Well, peace is so much more than not fighting with somebody. Peace, shalom, is about God's kingdom come to earth. It's about the Lord's prayer coming true. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about, essentially, the entire Sermon on the Mount coming true. It's about God's kingdom coming here now and God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what peace, shalom. The, another way of translating it is wholeness. Everything is made whole again. It's how it's supposed to be. And so when we say grace and peace, um, one translator I put it, I read, um, essentially said, may you get what you don't deserve and may you experience the wholeness of Christ. And I just absolutely love that because it's really easy to blow over three words, grace and peace, right? But when you, when you spell it out like that, may you get what you don't deserve and may you experience wholeness in Christ. Ooh, that makes it land. That makes it stick a little bit more. Now, before we think about the second part of this, I want to do a little bit of explanation because I've gotten some looks in the last two weeks from y'all. And you probably think, 
Um, you're being sneaky, but you're not. <laughs> I see what you're looking at. You're looking at my tattoos, okay? Um, I, I notice, and I know for some people this might be an issue, because um, I know um, growing up, maybe some of you heard that tattoos are a sin, and probably going to something like the, the Holiness Code in Leviticus. And I understand if we have differing opinions about that, but obviously I didn't think it was a sin or I wouldn't have gotten them, all right? Um, and the reason I believe that, just because I, I, trust me, I'm going somewhere. I'm not just trying to like hop up on my soapbox and defend myself. I'm going to tie it in. Um, but the holiness code where these tattoos are um, forbidden is because it's actually the holiness code that God gives to the, the Israelites as they're in the desert. And it's a way of differentiating the Israelites from everybody around them, a.k.a. all the people that worshipped Baal, right? You can think of all the Old Testament stories, all the prophets of Baal. Part of worshiping Baal was cutting yourself because you had to sacrifice not just animals. You had to sacrifice not just food, not just grain, not just vegetables. You had to sacrifice your own blood. And you sacrificed your own blood by cutting yourself and pouring your own blood out on the altar. And heaven forbid, sometimes you put your own children on that altar. And so the priests were known for, for performing these sacrifices day after day and week after week. And so they started to cut on themselves designs and patterns and those were the first tattoos. Because I can tell you what, they didn't have no hypodermic needle back in the ancient Near East, right? And so those tattoos were associated with Baal worship. And so that's why God said, uh-uh, we don't do this, not where I'm from, not where I'm going. And so it was a way of differentiating themselves from Baal worship. Now, I've not met a Baal worshiper since I've been alive, all right? Um, and there's actually a, a reason behind these. Because what I put on my arms is grace and peace. I have grace on my left arm, and it's charis in Koine Greek, and I have shalom on my right arm in Hebrew, which is peace. And I, and I put them on those arms specifically on purpose. You start reading in closer to my heart, and you read out towards my hands, because Hebrew you read right to left. And so it's a reminder to me of what I am supposed to be doing as a follower of Christ. I am supposed to be putting grace and peace into the world. It's supposed to flow out of me and into the world. And I've, I've had this, this tattoo design sitting on my computer for three years, and I knew when I wanted to do it. It was a celebration of when I turned 30 a few weeks ago, and I, I went and I did it. But it also happened to be the same week I resigned. I resigned Tuesday to the board. Wednesday, I turned 30. Thursday, I got these tattoos. I don't know if it's like a third, I don't know, it's not necessarily a quarter or a midlife, but it's uh, like the question is, are you having a midlife crisis, right? That's what everybody asked me. Um, but I said, no, it's a way of me to remember this. And also, you know how I end every sermon, I hold my arms out and it's a blessing of grace and peace. And I want to say this now, not at the end, because um, I, I want to keep it together, but now I know I, I, I carry you with me on my body in grace and peace. Because it's here that I, I grew up as a, as a preacher, as a pastor. And this is a reminder that I will carry with me always of you all, of this place, of this family, of Eastview. And that means a lot to me. And I'll leave it at that. Um... <laughs> So I want to look at one more passage, one of my favorite stories from the book of Genesis. 
Um, it's from Genesis chapter 28. And I, I'm sure and you might, it might sound familiar. It's entitled in my Bible, um, Jacob's Dream at Bethel. And it's starting in verse 10. You might know it as Jacob's Ladder, right? Depending on your translation, it's Jacob's Ladder or Jacob's Stairway, right? For some reason, and I can't imagine why, it's never entitled the Stairway to Heaven. I don't know. But it's Jacob's dream or Jacob's vision, right? And in my translation, it's, it's about a stairway. And so um, it says this, starting in verse 10 in chapter 28 of Genesis. <clears throat> Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Now when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And so taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Like you do, right? I don't know anybody that camps with a stone for a pillow. He had a dream now in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And I love verse 16 here. Now when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head. He set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, or in Hebrew, it's Beit El. It's the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and I will give you all a tenth of what you have given me. The word of the Lord this morning. I absolutely love that. Jacob lays down, takes a nap, encounters God through a vision, and I love what he wakes up and he says, Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. As I have developed as a pastor, as I have spent these last six years, as I've been ordained, as I've tried to figure out what it is that I'm doing, I have become more and more convinced that this is the essence of the spiritual life. I am more and more convinced that the essence of the spiritual life is waking up more and more and saying, well, surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. And, and, and some days it sounds more like, well, God is in this place? And I didn't know it. And that's essentially what it means to grow and be on the journey with God. Is whatever you encounter, whatever it is you go through, at the end of it you say, well, God was in this place. And I didn't know it. And so he commemorates it. He sets up an altar. Sets up a pillar and he anoints it with oil. But God was in this place. And I didn't know it. And God's promise is important there too at the end of the vision. I will go with you. I will be with you wherever you go, and I will not leave you. See, I think sometimes in our culture we have this idea that God's not in certain places. I mean, that's why we have the, the whole phrase, God forsaken, except that's not true. 
because God is everywhere. He's there before you get there. He's there with you. He's, his spirit lives in you if you follow Christ. And then you go to that place, God is already there, and you leave it, and God's still there, but he's also where you're going next. So God is everywhere. We just have to wake up to it. We just have to open our eyes and see it. That's why I try to be, I've tried so hard to always be careful about how I pray at the call to worship. Because I want to be careful. Because if I'm inviting God into this place, I'm implying that he's not here to begin with. And he was here before any of you got here. And I'll admit, because I got two kids, rarely am I the first one here on a Sunday morning. Okay? But I have a, I have a good idea of who is first here on a Sunday morning. But God's even here before them. All right? See, God is in this place. And the, the perks of a sanctuary is we normally know it. We feel it. We're aware of it. But no matter where you go, God is in that place, and he was there before you got there. The real trick, the real challenge, is realizing it in the midst of suffering. That God is in this place where it feels like he's not. It's in Job's situation. That's what the book of Job is. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. And Job's trying to convince his friends that he does know it, and they're trying to convince him that he doesn't. God is in this place, but I didn't know it. Whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a divorce, whether it's financial troubles, or a betrayal, or a failed business, or a pink slip at work, whatever it is, the loss of a loved one, the dis dissolution of some sort of important relationship to you, God is in this place. And maybe we didn't know it. But God is there, and God can and does work through it. By no means does God cause it. I will never say God causes your heartbreak, God causes your suffering, or you didn't have enough faith or any of that junk. But God is in that place. God can redeem it. That is the power of Christ. That in three days it took to be resurrected, the tradition goes that he descended into the very depths of hell. So that we, there is literally no place in all of creation that we can say is God forsaken. Because Christ has been there. Christ has done that. Christ is the name that we give grace. Because grace is personal. And he brings peace. If you read the Gospel of John, he says, It is my peace I give to you. So that your joy may be complete. Jesus is grace and peace. And us on this spiritual journey together as we continue to grow each and every day, it is a process of waking up each and every day and saying, God is in this place, and I didn't know it. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. When God moves in, when God gives his grace, it works towards his peace. And God is everywhere, even if we don't know it. And so I, I challenge you this week, and in the days and months ahead, to make your own vow. See, Jacob had to respond. Grace and peace demand a response. You can't just sit on it, right? Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians says, remember, you're supposed to be a holy people. Grace and peace. Jacob encounters and says, God is in this place and I didn't know it. And so he makes a pillar and he makes a, makes a vow to God. Grace and peace demand response. They demand action. They demand you do something that you move from your heart to your hands, that they flow out of you and that you help the Lord's prayer come true, that you help God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Let us stand and close out with a word of prayer together. One last thing. I know I've said it a lot lately, um, but thank you. Thank you so much for being you, for being here, for your support um, in some ways that are, that are visible, that are, that are obvious, but especially in those ways that are not so visible and not so obvious. Um, thank you for your support um, over these years and your help in, in us and raising our family um, and helping me to be, to be a pastor. You ordained me. That's the thing I keep coming back to. You made me an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, that's one thing that I reflected on this week as I was packing up my office, and I had to figure out how to get that, that awesome uh, plaque you gave me back into the box, because they never go back as easy as they came out, right? But as I put that in, I was like, this is the church that ordained me, no matter what comes after. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for that, and thank you for your support, and thank you for your help all these years. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and your peace. May we carry it with us wherever we go. May we open our eyes to the reality that it is at work in us and through us, through your Holy Spirit, that it is freely given, that it is a gift, that it is personal, but it also moves us towards wholeness, completeness, and holiness. And so, Father, may we be changed. May we encounter you. May we open our eyes to the reality that you are in this place, whatever this place may mean, whether it mean this room, this time, this circumstance, this blessing, this trial, you are in this place, no matter what this is. And so as we experience your grace and peace, may we learn to share it with those around us. May we become agents of your shalom ourselves. And may we all work together to make the Lord's prayer a reality that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go in grace and peace.